on Wednesday nights with the students, we have been going through a uh, study of the book of Mark and simply going verse by verse. We started that study out of a conviction that uh, God, God just laid on my heart that we were kind of on the borderline of becoming a religious youth group and not a youth group who just truly follows Christ and simply follows him wherever he leads, I'll go. And lives a life that, that Christ demonstrated. And when he says, follow me, that we would just follow after him, wherever that may be. And so that's what we've been working on on Wednesday nights. As you're up here in prayer meeting or with the children, the students are going through the book of Mark. And I wanted to share with you actually a, a sermon that I, I delivered to them a couple weeks ago. And so students, if you're in here tonight, you've heard a lot of this. <laughs> and uh, that's okay, because I have too. <laughs> I've studied it and heard it twice, and as I prepared tonight, I was convicted yet again. Um, because to me, what we're going to look at tonight is something that's very challenging and humbling because none of us can stand there and go, yep, I'm good, and leave unaffected by what we talk about tonight. I, I don't think we can typically do that at any time with God's Word. But I know in my own life, there's particular messages and particular things and areas that, that God deals with that really slapped me upside the head at times. And this is one of those tonight. So I want to ask you to do something tough tonight. I want to ask you to look in the mirror and not through the glass. And what I mean by saying that is I want you to stand in front of the mirror and look at yourself tonight. Don't look at a window and look at everybody else. You know, it's so easy as we come to God's Word and as we hear God's Word proclaimed to assume that it's for someone else or it's about someone else or to take that posture of, yep, they need to work on that. And while we say we don't do that, we do. <laughs> I know, well, let me say, I do, <laughs> you know, and I'm assuming that you're like me a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. So tonight, I want to ask you to take some humility, to humble yourselves and just assume that every point and every passage and every verse is God saying, this is you. This is for you. Don't assume it's for someone else. I want to share with you a quote tonight as we begin. This quote is by John Piper. It's actually on your paper. It says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all your friends you ever had on earth and with all the foods you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? So essentially, if you take everything, everything in life that's good, everything you enjoy, everything that gives you satisfaction, everything when you get to the end of the day that makes you say, man, this was a great day, you take all those things and you remove all the bad things. You remove all the pain, all the suffering, all the evil. You take away all those things and all it is is just good stuff, the good life. And you put that in heaven and you die, you step out of this life and step into eternity. You've breathed your last on earth and you stand in heaven and you get there and all that is there. But you look around and Christ is not present. What is your reaction? What would your reaction be? Put yourself in that position that that happens to you tonight. That for whatever reason, you breathe your last and you go to heaven and Christ is not there, but everything good is. Are you okay with that? Do you go, eh, I can deal with that. That's all right. 
I mean, it's not exactly what Scripture said, but hey, I'm all right. I mean, man, Grandma's here, and I hadn't talked to her in forever, and I can play basketball again, and I mean, it's good. I mean, you know, there's no pain. There's no sickness. My kids aren't sick anymore. I don't have this pain in my knee. Now, this is good. I'm all right with it. This is a critical question because the answer to this question says whether or not you have bought into the religion seeking a good life or if you are following Christ. If none of the benefits of Christ were offered, would you still follow him? Would you still pursue him? If none of the benefits of Christ were offered, would you still follow him? This is a question before us tonight. As we go into that, I want to read a, passage, a verse in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 13.5, listen to this. It says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Examine yourself. Examine yourself. We need to understand that it is, it is biblical and it is healthy for us to examine ourselves. What Pastor Bill did with us this morning, when he looked at you and said, there will be people who come before Christ and say, Lord, Lord, who have said, Lord, Lord. And when they come before Christ, Christ will look at them and say, I never knew you. And when he looks at, uh, looks at us and says that, that's for all of us. Because we see here in 2 Corinthians, we are to examine ourselves. We are to test ourselves to see, are we in the faith? Are we believers? Or we, have we bought into some religious garbage? Are we truly following after Christ? Are we truly pursuing him? Is he truly our Lord? Are we redeemed? Are we a part of the family of God? Or have we fooled ourselves? Have we bought into religion? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you. And God, I, I just ask that you would grant each one of us in here, myself included, a spirit of humility. As we look at your word and your description of the ones who follow you. God, we struggle. We are not perfect. And we need your grace. God, I pray that you give us clarity and understanding of your word. And that you truly would show it to be a double-edged sword tonight. That would cut to our innermost being. And you would open our eyes to areas in our life where we have fallen to religion and stepped out of following you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. I clicked on Facebook a couple weeks ago. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Facebook. I know it's actually hitting the older generation. My mom is all over Facebook. Uh, so a lot of you in here are all over Facebook, I know. If you go to Facebook, and, and it's a social networking site on the Internet, if you're not familiar with it. It's a place you can exchange pictures and comments and updates and email. And you, I mean, I, I know I'm friends with people in high school that I hadn't seen in 15 years and things like that. And so I went on Facebook, and you can be part of groups. Like our student ministry has a group. It's a great student ministry group on Facebook, and everybody's on there, and we can send messages to everybody. So you can make a group for anything. So I typed in the other day on the search engine there, Facebook, I just typed Jesus, fan of Jesus. 
And, and it brought up, I think it was almost 200 different groups that were fans of Jesus. <clears throat> now, I, I, I'm not going to be too critical. I know some of you in here that are on Facebook, you may be a fan of Jesus. I don't know. And I don't, and I don't come at that saying that, you know, everybody that has that or created that has ill motives and they've missed it and they're not Christians and all that stuff. That's not my point. But my point is this, is the question, is it possible that some of us are merely fans of Jesus but yet not followers of Jesus? Have we just proven ourselves to be a fan? And the question comes then, can I be a fan of something but not a follower of it? And, and the thing that instantly comes to mind when I hear the word fan, for me, is North Carolina, right? Our first game's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. My DVR's recorded. We're playing Florida International, and Isaiah Thomas is going home crying. I know that's going to happen tomorrow night, right? I'm a fan of North Carolina. You likewise know that John Wall had 9 assists and 27 points and looked really good Friday night, right? Because you guys are fans of Kentucky, except for Jeff and Bill, and they're just the unfortunate ones that don't have much to cheer for in basketball. So... So you're a fan, right? You're a fan of something. But here's the difference is, is while I'm a fan of North Carolina, I love, I'm going to go to the game, I'm excited about that, I have shirts and stuff, I'm not a follower of North Carolina. There are things that that university stands for and teaches that I don't agree with. There's places they could go, and there's even things that that team could do that I would go, you know, I'm not following them there, and I'll actually step back and not follow them. There's something they could do that I would stop following them and even being a fan of them. And I would hope and pray the same is, is true for you as a UK fan. That you wouldn't follow the University of Kentucky basketball to over the edge of the cliff. I mean, as great as Coach Cal seems, ultimately you're just a fan, I hope. So the truth is we can be a fan of something and not a follower. The, the same is true this morning that you, where uh, Bill made the point that you can know about Jesus but not know Jesus. You see that in Mark 1.24 when a demon proclaims, and he says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. He says that to Jesus. Is that demon a follower of Christ? No way. No way. And we see in James 2.19 the same thing, that, hey, even the demons believe and shudder. They know. So there's a difference between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ. There's a difference between being a fan of Christ and being a follower of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 12 through 20 tonight. Actually, we'll pick up in verse 14. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired servants, and went away to follow him. So we see here, what does Jesus call? His call is simple. He's preaching the message of what? The, the message he's preaching is the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That's the message. The call is follow me. It's follow me. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. A simple call is to follow me. It's a call of full devotion. It's an all-out commitment. He leads you, you follow. 
right? A basic game. You learn that my son back here on the back row, Braden, he knows, right? Follow the leader. If somebody says, follow the leader, and Miranda says, all right, I'm the leader. Braden, you're following, and Miranda goes wherever. Well, Braden follows, right? A simple game. We know that. Christ says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Francis Chan says, Jesus' call to commitment is clear. He wants all or nothing. The thought of a person calling himself a Christian without being fully devo- a fully devoted follower of Christ is absurd. Is absurd. It's more than being a fan. When Christ comes on, he looks at the disciples. He says, follow me. It's more. He doesn't say, hey, hey be a fan of mine. <laughs> Give me a good cheer. Tell people you know about me. About me. He says, follow me. It's all out commitment. Now consider this. Consider this call when the disciples hear it. Right? Consider the call. He doesn't come to them and say, hey, you know what? Here's all the benefits. Even all the benefits we know from the New Testament that Christ tells us about, that God has revealed in his word through the apostles' teachings, even through the gospels. They don't know all this. They've not been promised. All the promises, just think about this. Every promise that you've ever read in the New Testament, the disciples had never heard that. Never. They never heard about the peace that surpasses all understanding in Philippians. They, they, they didn't know all these things. This is at the beginning of his ministry. And he says, follow me. And they don't follow because of the benefits. They don't follow because of the popularity. They don't follow so that they can start the church. They don't follow this because they can write some things in a Bible and get published and be the most popular book in the history of man. No. Why do they follow? They follow because of who they're following. They follow because of Jesus. And that's all they know. When he says, follow me, they follow him. They don't follow for the fringe benefits. They follow regardless of the cost and regardless of where it sends. They don't know what is tomorrow going to hold. When I leave behind my life here fishing, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just following. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, here, this is where you're going to end up. And they just follow. It took them all over the world. And ultimately, as history teaches us, listen to their ultimate outcome as as best we can gather from history and outside writings. Peter was crucified head down in Rome, 66 AD. Andrew was bound to death. He preached until his death in 74 AD. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. We know that in Acts 12. John was banished to the Isle of Patmos. We know he was the only one that did not die a martyr. Philip was crucified in Phrygia. Bartholomew, beaten, crucified, and beheaded in 52 AD. Thomas, run through by a lance in the East Indies, 52 AD. Matthew, slain by the sword in Ethiopia. James, son of Alphaeus, was thrown from a pinnacle. When he lands, they beat him to death with a club. That was 60 AD. Thaddeus was shot to death by arrows, 72 AD. Simon was crucified in Persia, 74 AD. Hey, here's the benefits, guys. Follow me, and here's what's going to come of you. Now, let me ask you a question. If he comes and he says, hey, you know what? Follow me, and here's what's going to happen. If that's included in the package, do you follow? If he looks at me and says, Todd, you follow me, and when you get on the plane to go to Peru in December, you're done. That's it. Your family's on their own. No more Todd. Do I still follow? Do you follow knowing the ultimate price it could pay? Would you follow if you lived in Turkey? If we lived in China? If we lived in Iran or Afghanistan, would you still follow Christ? Because here, there's a lot of fringe benefits of following Christ. 
Let's be honest. I mean, we get cool t-shirts, cool bumper stickers, an ichthus decal for our, our license plate. I mean, we even get tax exemptions. We get, I mean, we get a tax cut for giving to the church. There's a lot of fringe benefits of following Christ. Erase all those. Do you still follow Christ? How far will you follow? If all that's gone, do we still follow? Do I still follow? I think that's a tough question. I, I want to say, you know what? No matter what, I would. But honestly, I've seen my faith look pretty terrible at times. I, I've had to get on my knees before Christ and say, God, I'm sorry. You asked me to do something simple a few minutes ago, and I didn't because I was too proud or too busy. How far will you follow? Where's the point that you would say, no, I'm not going there? Where's the point that you stop following Christ? Is there a point that you stop following Christ? If there's a point, there's a problem. We're going to look at 10 things on your note sheet. 10 things that Jesus himself describes those who follow Christ. Okay? David, will you turn that projector on back up there? 10 things where Christ says, you know what, here's what a follower looks like. The first one is this, is that a follower loves Jesus. The follower loves Jesus. Hey, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Let's trap him. What's the greatest commandment? I mean, you got all these commandments from God. Let's see. Well, I mean, how's he going to single one out? What's the greatest one? Well, Jesus replies, and you know, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the first and greatest commandment. He says, you know what? The pe my people love me. And the believer, the follower, loves Christ. This isn't lip service. It's not religion. It is love. You think about love, you think about 1 Corinthians 13. You think about the demonstration of love that we see in Romans 5, 8. All those things. When we think about love, that's what the believer looks to Christ with, that we have love for him, that we follow him. We don't follow his blessings. We don't follow his benefits. We follow him. And him alone. We follow Christ. Are there blessings? Sure. Are there benefits? Yeah. Are there hard times? You bet it. But we follow Christ. And Christ alone. The second thing. The follower loves others. The follower loves others. He says the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The follower has love for the poor, the needy, the lost, the widowed. What do you do when you drive down 27 and you see somebody that looks dangerous or doesn't look like you? They don't have a nice sport jacket on like I do tonight. They don't look clean cut. What do you do when you drive by them and they're there by their car? Do we stop and help them? Do we show love to that person? Do we minister to this person differently to this, than we do to this person? How do we care for the needy? How do we care for the kid who's made fun of at school? How do we minister to the kid who doesn't have everything that I have 
maybe not even just financially, but physically? How do we minister and love the kid who's handicapped? How do we reach out to them? How do we love them? How do we demonstrate Christ to them? Do we serve them expecting nothing in return? Nothing in return. Are we really going to serve them? The third thing, Jesus says that in John 4, 23, the follower worships with passion and spirit and truth. John 4, 23, Jesus tells the woman at the way, he says, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Look at your life of worship. I mean, think about your life of worship just for a minute. Can you really say, do you say, I worship in spirit. Everything that I am, I worship. I'm a passionate worshiper of God. Is worship something you go to or something you do? This is like Christianity 101, right? We've heard sermon upon sermon upon sermon of what is worship, how do we worship, styles of worship, all these things. But do we worship? Do we worship? I mean, do we really say, God, consume me from the inside out? God, I want you to consume me. I want you to transform me. I want you to make me like you. God, I want to be a part of a generation who seeks your face. God, I cast down my idols. And God, you and I know what those are. Right? When you sang that song a minute ago, did you think about things in your life that get in the way of your relationship with God? That, God, I cast those down. God, I'm sorry. Focus me on you. I want to pursue you. I want to follow you. Listen, the follower of Christ is a worshiper. It's a worshiper. They worship because it's the outpouring of their love for Christ. They've seen the demonstration of God's love on the cross. They know that. They know the truth of Galatians 3. You guys that have been here on Sunday nights, you just studied that a while back. Students, we spent a week on that. That, that Galatians 3 where it says that, that Christ became a curse for us. He became a curse for us. He was our scapegoat from the Old Testament. Not just the Lamb of God, He became our scapegoat. He was forsaken. He became a curse for us. And we know that the, the worshiper knows the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.21 that He made He who knew no sin become sin on our behalf that we might become what? The righteousness of God. What? The Son of God made sin on our behalf? He who knew no sin made sin on my behalf. What does that make you do? It makes you worship. It makes us worship. The follower of Christ worships in passion for Christ, in spirit and truth. Number four, the follower walks in the way Christ walked. The follower walks in the way Christ walked. Mark 1.17 says, and Jesus said to them, we already read this, follow me. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The call, simple, follow me. Look at, look at what 1 John says. 1 John 2, 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If, I, if I'm a Christian, if I say, you know, I'm a believer, and I'm a Christian, and I'm a follower of Christ, but yet I don't walk in the manner that Christ walked, there's a problem. There's a problem. I, I, I walk the way Christ walked. Listen, the call of Christ is not to know how Christ walked. No, no. Rather, it's a call to walk and live just like Christ 
walked, and lived. It's a call to follow me. It's not a call to know how Christ walked. It's a call to walk like Christ walked. Yeah, you know it because it takes knowing it to walk it. But a lot of times we can recite the scriptures. But yet we don't live the scriptures. So am I following Christ? Am I walking in the same way that he walked? Number five. Mark 1.17. The follower is a fisher of men. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. You can do an Old Testament study on what this meant to hear. Because typically God was the fisher of men. But now Christ says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You will be a fisher of men. You see, the follower of Christ is a lover of missions. Missions is the heart cry of the follower. It's Matthew 28, 19. I don't know if we have that. Do we have that one day? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? Go therefore, make disciples, missions. Listen, the follower of Christ reads Romans 1. Instead, where it says, you know what, the, the men are without excuse. The power and nature of God has been displayed. They are without excuse, but they suppress the truth. And then read on to Romans 2 where it says, you know what, they are storing up wrath for themselves. Those outside of Christ are storing up wrath for themselves. Those of you in here tonight that are outside of Christ, as you live, you're storing up God's wrath for yourself. Then you read on to Romans 3, and you see that there is no one good, no one righteous, no, not one. And when the follower of Christ reads that, they don't just skim over and go, "Woo, praise God, that isn't me anymore. (laughs) Man, I'm glad I'm not there. I'm not storing up wrath anymore. No, the follower of Christ reads that and is grieved and says, my neighbor is storing up wrath for himself. The follower of Christ says, man, Danilo, right now as we speak, is a child of God's wrath. He is dead in his transgressions. He's surrounded by men who suppress the truth. And he does not know the gospel. And I want to take it to him. I want to go. God, send me. God, send me. Maybe it's not true. Send me down the street. The follower of Christ wants to take Christ to others. The follower of Christ is devoted to missions. Number six, the follower is prepared for persecution. The follower is prepared for persecution. John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. This is Jesus. A slave is not greater than his master. Who's the slave? The follower. Who's the master? Christ. So he says, hey, you know what? You're no greater than I, buddy. (laughs) I don't know what you're thinking. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word also. So he says, hey, you know what? Guess what? If they're going to persecute me, guess what? They're persecuting you. Yep, that's it. So guess what? We know. We know the end and what happened to Christ. We know he was beaten to a bloody pulp. We know that he was persecuted. We know that he was persecuted by, by the religious gurus, right? The Pharisees. We know. We saw the persecution. And Christ says, guess what? If they persecuted me, you're my follower. And they're going to persecute you. When you walk onto your campus, yep, 
get made fun of because that's natural. When you go to work, yeah, there's things that's, that's going to happen that wouldn't happen to others. You're not going to get a promotion. Why? Because you're a Christian. And that's all right. Because guess what? You're a follower of mine. And you can expect it. You can expect it. But what do we do? What do we do? We do everything in our means to avoid it. Don't we? We do everything in our means to avoid it. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise mine because I've done it. But you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to put you on the spot. Even though I think you all have done it probably. How many of you have been more obedient to a fast heartbeat than you have the command of God? You know what I'm talking about, right? Been more obedient to sweaty palms than to Matthew 28, 19. I mean, evangelism. I mean, I, God, I, I, maybe I share my faith. I'm, you know, it's like a hummingbird in your chest all of a sudden and your palms are sweaty. What if I said the wrong thing? I don't know. Maybe tomorrow, right? What, what if they make fun of me? Oh, heaven forbid they laugh at me, <laughs> you know? I've been there. And I'm sure most of you have too. But the follower is prepared for persecution. They're prepared for it. You know what? If, if telling somebody about Christ means that, that I'm going to get persecuted, that's fine. That's fine. If telling somebody about Christ in Turkey means that I could be thrown in jail and beaten and not see my family for six months until they let me go because the government does all it can and everybody prays, that's fine. I'm going to do it. I don't know. Well, what is it? How, how hard do we try to avoid persecution? The follower of Christ expects it. The follower of Christ expects it. Number seven, the follower obeys the commands of Christ. John 14, 15. Pretty simple here. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then reading on in chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, answer and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. If you love Christ, we obey his commandments. How simple is that? But how hard is it? <laughs> how hard is it? I mean, realistically. You know, we get to the end of the day and we realize, wow, we didn't do so hot on that. And we have just been openly rebellious and disobedient. But Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Number eight, Luke 9, 20 says, 23, sorry, 9, 23, follower is not afraid of sacrifice. Are we willing to sacrifice our safety for God's glory? Let me ask us this. Yes, I meant to say, ask us this. <laughs> what do we pray more often for? Our safety or God's glory? Do we pray more often in the morning, God, keep my family safe, than we do, God, bring glory to your name through my family? God, keep us safe as we go to Peru, instead of God, bring your name glory as we go to Peru. Not afraid of sacrifice. Now listen, I stand, I stand before you and I guarantee you in about four weeks I'm going to be praying for safety because I want to see Avery and Braden and Sydney and Steph again and you guys too. But do I pray more fervently for my own safety than God's glory? Number nine, Revelations 3, 15 through 17. We always read this and think of other people. The follower is not lukewarm. 
I know your deeds. Jesus says that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I mean, that's the verse, man. We instantly go, <laughs> that's, that's probably talking about storm, <laughs> not me, you know. Storm knows I'm kidding. We, he'll try to choke me tomorrow night. The follower of Christ is not lukewarm. Do we ever experience times of apathy? Sure. But as a whole, is our life lukewarm? No. The follower of Christ is not lukewarm. John 15, 15, number 10. The follower bears fruit. The follower bears fruit. Listen to this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he may bear some fruit. For apart from me, he can do a good bit of stuff. No. You know that's not right. You, you, even if you were looking at your notes, you knew I just lied to you. You know, we know this, but except sometimes we don't translate it into our life, right? Sometimes we've, we fooled ourselves into thinking, you know what, there's such thing as a, a non-fruit-bearing Christian. Do we see that in Scripture? No. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, period. He bears much fruit. Are we fruit bearers? This doesn't mean I'm winning 10 people to the Lord every day. Fruit bearing as a Christian is not confined to evangelism and, and salvation. Are we bearing fruit as believers? Now let's contrast that with a fan. Don't worry, these won't take near as long. I know we're going over, but at least I'm consistent. I don't think I've ever ended before eight on a Sunday night. <clears throat> Youth included. How do we contrast that with a fan? If that's what Jesus says, this is what a follower looks like, then what does a fan look like? And here's, here's the line. Listen, here's the part where, to me, it's really difficult. I dropped the ball on some of those first ten things, but, man, these sometimes just smack me upside the face. Listen to these. <clears throat> here's hallmarks of a fan of Christ. Number one, a fan goes to church because it's what good Christians do. It's what good Christians do. I mean, that's why I go to church. I mean, it's, <laughs> I have to be good, right? It's just what I should do. And that's the only reason I go. Do you go to worship or do you go just because that's what Christians do? That's what's expected to you. If, you. if you don't go, Bill or Todd or Scott or Ricky may call you or your deacon could call you and say, hey, where were you Sunday? Is that why you go? Or do we go because we worship? Do we go for a longing to worship and praise him with our family of God? Do we go for fellowship? The fan just goes because it's what good Christians do. Number two, the fan chooses what's popular over what is right. The fan chooses what is popular over what's right. Popularity is not an issue just for youth. Popularity is an issue for every one of us sitting in here. You know in the workplace that you are tempted with popularity every day. To be like or as good or be liked by your coworkers and other people in your profession. Number three, a fan gives of himself and his resources as long as it's convenient and safe. You know what? That, that could be a little dangerous if I go there. I'm not going. I mean, well, I, I have something else to do. What if I have an a, uh, academic meet this week? I can't really do that. If I don't have anything else planned, I'll come to the prayer time. <clears throat> well, we were really busy that weekend, so we couldn't make it. Listen, I'm not 
I'm not slapping you on the wrist for not being everything the church doors are open at. That's fine. I don't expect you to. None of the staff expects you to be here every time the church doors are open. But what's unhealthy and what's a sign of a fan is when every decision you make to follow Christ or be involved in something of Christ is whether or not something else is going on. If there's no game going on, I'll make it. If I don't have a prior commitment, I'll be there. That's unhealthy and that's a bad sign. Number four, this is killer. The fan doesn't want to be saved from actual sin, just the penalty of it. Just the penalty of it. A fan doesn't really care about the sin itself. I mean, sin's kind of fun, you know. I like it. I, I just, as long as I can get rid of the penalty of it, that whole eternal death and punishment thing, if I, if I can get rid of that and keep the sin, I'm all right with it, right? That's the fan. If you're okay with the sin itself, if it doesn't grieve you, when, when you see and God reveals sin in your life, when you look at his word and you go, wow, that's me. And God's saying that's sin. And that does not bring him glory. I'm glad I'm not going to be punished by it. <laughs> Man, praise the Lord that he took that punishment for me. Boom, you go on about your day. That's a problem. That's a sign that you're just a fan. Do you grieve over sin in your life? Do you grieve over sin in your life? Number five, a fan doesn't share his or her faith. I mean, Christ said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I mean, this is pretty clear that if you're following Christ, you're telling people about Christ. Okay? It's pretty black and white. Number six, here's one that hits all of us. A fan is moved by stories of Christians doing radical things for Jesus, but doesn't attempt anything radical because those things are for special Christians. Those are just for the missionaries. You know, we watch the video clip and we get kind of teary-eyed and emotional. Wow, can you believe that? We even tell people, man, you wouldn't believe what what happened in Peru, what they said. You wouldn't believe what they did over in eastern Kentucky and this guy they ministered to. Man, it was great. But that's for, I mean, and you're thinking, that's not for me, though. That's just for those who are called to missions. Or that's just for the paid staff or the you know, ministers, pastors. No. The fan's not satisfied with that. The fan takes the gospel. The fan does whatever Christ tells them to do. It follows Christ anywhere he says to go. Number seven, the fan compares himself to the world instead of Jesus. Hey, I'm doing great compared to those guys. Man, I could be like him. At least I'm not like my neighbor. I was at church this morning. Number eight, the fan gives Jesus only a part of their life. He doesn't control it all. I'll give him this, but I'm not giving him my job. Because if I give Christ my job, that means I can't rip these people off. I mean, I can't show integrity at work, surely. If I do that, I'm going to lose some money. Number nine, a fan's love for others is limited to those those who are like them or who can give them something in return. Jesus says, what you have done to the least of these, you have done to me, for me. The least of these. Number 10, a fan only lives out their faith on a mission trip or at camp. They look like everyone else the rest of the time. How common is it to go on a mission trip and all 13 or all 20 or to go to camp and all 65 or 20, however many go to camp, is fired up for Jesus? You know, we ride through Gatlinburg and I gave our students, I don't know what you say, a hard time. I don't know, I was just honest with them the other Wednesday about this, that we go through Gatlinburg, and I've got kids leaning out the window. Jesus, rock! 
Jesus. They're screaming. Man, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. All this stuff. And then we get into Somerset. You know? Is that only students? No. We go to Peru. We're fired up. We're sharing the gospel with every turn. Boom, 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 boom. We get here and we go, oh, I just wish people were as open as they are in Peru. Or maybe if we were just as intentional and focused on evangelism here as we were in Peru. Number 11, the fan serves God only when it's convenient. There's nothing else going on that weekend. We've already talked about that. Number 12, a fan is focused more on the pleasures of today than eternity. Do, do we live each day focused on eternity? Number 13, a fan does just enough to avoid feeling guilty, but not so much that they look like a Jesus freak. I don't want somebody to think I'm weird. <laughs> I just want to do just enough and I don't feel guilty. I mean, I'm going to go to church and I'll, I'll even tithe a little bit. That way I don't feel guilty when Bill says something about money for the church, you know. Number 14, a fan may not drink or cuss, but otherwise they live just like the rest of the world. Well, yeah, I mean, let's go to that movie. I don't watch that show. I listen to that music. You know, iPods. If we scroll down, the iPods sitting in this room. I know there's a bunch of iPods in your pockets, right? We go down your iPods and look at the music. Is there any difference in what we're filling our heads with as the person that doesn't know Christ? Is Christ taking ownership of every part of our life? I think, I know, this message is hard. As I stand up here and talk, <laughs> preach it, I sit here going, I dropped the ball there. I fall into that. That's, there's that sin in my life. And there's areas that we all struggle. And we see that in Romans 7, that Paul says the things I do, not want to do, I do, and the things that I want to do, I don't do, and I'm struggling, wretched man that I am, he's frustrated. But ultimately, the follower of Christ lives for Christ and pursues Christ, does not pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, but says, God, I need your grace and I need your help. And they follow Christ, focused on Christ, wherever he leads, they go. But the fan of Christ is just religious. Just religious. They bought into the good life. They bought into the religious game. And so tonight, the call is just 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Two messages today from God's Word that call us to examine ourselves and to know, am I a child of God? Don't play games. We can't afford to play games. Oh, what God would do with a body of followers at Grace Baptist. A body of followers that say, this fan business is for the birds. I'm going to follow Christ. What would God do? Who knows?
I know what he's doing. But I can't help to think, man, if I follow Christ in every area, and I'm trying, but I need your prayers. Because there's areas that I'm not doing good in. But man, if by God's grace I was able to follow fully in every area, and so were you, what would that look like? What would that look like? It'd be amazing. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded this morning of the tragic truth that there will be those who stand before you on judgment day and they say, Lord, we, we preached in your name and we did all these things and I went to church and I was involved in grace and I went to mission trips and all these things, God. And you will look at them and say, I never knew you. God, give us the humility once again to examine ourselves to test ourselves to know that we are followers of you God I pray that pride would not get in the way of anyone in here myself included from following you and most importantly God I pray that if there's anybody in here who knows they're, they're just a fan of you it's just religion it's just something they do because they live in Somerset Kentucky God, if there's someone in here tonight, if there's anyone in our church, in our body that is in that position, God, I pray that they would hear your call to follow you and that you would grant them the faith to do that. God, we would absolutely rejoice and celebrate with them in that. Because, God, we're not worried about image. We're not worried about what people think of us. We're worried about our relationship with you. And we're worried about your glory, God. We want to see you glorified. We want to see you praised. We want to see you high and lifted up and magnified through our church, through our lives, and around the globe, God. God, we want to follow you. And God, we confess as believers, as followers, that there's things, there's times where we don't do a good job. There's times where we fail just like Peter did. But God, we know you are there and that your grace is sufficient and we ask you for your grace. God, I pray you strengthen my brothers and sisters tonight to walk in you and to follow you. Thank you, God. In Christ's name, amen.